Man, it's so good to see all of you today. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. We're so glad you're here. You're always welcome to anything we have going on at this church. And I hope after the service you can get your free gift. Listen, if you don't want to fill out the card, do what I do when I go places. I just give them the wrong information, you know? <laughs> I give them an old home phone number. I give them Joe's email address. I give them all sorts of things. That they just want. But just go get the gift. He wants you to have it. We paid for it. Might as well go get it, you know, and enjoy all that. No, anything we do that's happening, you're welcome to come. Easter's in three weeks. This service is going to be packed. This is spring break right now, and it's cold, and it's crowded. In three weeks, it's going to be packed, packed, packed. So, if, you know, if you have the ability, if you want a more traditional service, go to the 830, there's room. Or if you can't, go to the 1215. Don't go to the 11, because the 11 is going to be just as crowded. So just, I'm just giving that a heads up so you'll know these things. We're in a series entitled Believe. Started it a couple of weeks back. It's going to go through Easter. And uh, it's based on John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, at the very end, John writes, these, these are amazing words. He said, all these things I wrote for you, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that in believing, you might have life in his name. Think about that. I mean, over I mean, 1940 years ago, he wrote all this so you and I today could believe in believing we could have life. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. We started off this series, John chapter 20, a couple of weeks ago, talking about the fact that there was a tomb that held the body of Jesus, and then it didn't, because it was empty, because he wasn't there anymore. And then last week, I shared with you that there were people who saw Jesus dead, and then they saw him alive again. And it all started with a woman named Mary. Today, I'm going to come to you after looking at empty and alive to a message entitled called John chapter 20, verses 19. I think it's actually through 23, but it's 22 because that's what I wrote, so I'm fallible. You knew that, but just, I want to give you proof every so often. And what I want you to see in the message today, what I think, what I really want to strike home is this, that Jesus didn't appear to people just to convince them he was alive. Though that would have been good enough, but that's not why he did it. His appearances, like his death and resurrection, had a purpose. And today we're going to come a little bit and look at that purpose. And as we begin the message today, we're going to be at Sunday night of Easter. And understand that by Sunday night, there were a lot of people who saw the resurrected Jesus. When you get to Sunday night, Easter Sunday night, there are a lot of people now who've seen the resurrected Jesus. You can't get around that. I mean, that's just a fact. And I know it's popular in the culture that we live in and the world we live in. And in fact, historically, people are always trying to explain away the resurrection. I mean, because I shared many times, and this is nothing new with me. I know most pastors have probably shared this hundreds of times. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. And if the resurrection is false, if you can discredit it, then Christianity is discredited. And so people spend their time trying to do that. And we've seen some of that. You know, the church made it all up. You know, the disciples took the body. It's all myth. And, and here's what I share with people who tell me that all the time. And, you know, here's what I said is, give me the evidence you have for that. Don't just tell me. Show me. Show me how the church made it up. When did they do it? How, what was the process? Show me how these gospels were wrong. Give me some evidence. Because the truth of the matter is, all the credibility goes to those four gospel accounts. It really does. Over time, they have stood all the examination. 
And one of the things that I share with you a lot, especially this year, I've focused on this year, and I did it a lot back in January, is I said as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to be fluent in Jesus. We need to go read those Gospels over and over, which I hope you're all doing over and over, because that's where our credibility is, understanding that story. So important. By the time you get to Sunday night, let's just say it's been about 12 hours since sunup. I mean, there are people in this room. It's, the, it's basically probably the upper room, maybe the same room where they had had the Lord's Supper a few days earlier. And there are a lot of people there. John chapter 20, and John just focuses on disciples. There's 10 disciples. There were 12, the, you know, the 12 guys. Judas is gone. Thomas isn't there right now. He focuses on them. But the same, the same account, the same event is told in Luke chapter 23. And he has quite a few people there. I mean, so they're all there. And, and this is the thing for all these people. 12 hours earlier, 12 hours earlier, they believed, every one of them, that Jesus was dead. Every one of them woke up believing that Jesus is dead. And now it's been 12 hours, and the stories are everywhere that the tomb is empty. And they know it's empty because some of them had seen it empty. But not only is it the emptiness of the tomb, some of them have claimed and it's an amazing claim that they have seen Jesus alive. I mean, Mary saw him. She's there. Some of the other women who were there saw him. Peter has seen him by now. In fact, in Luke tells us, in Luke 24, tells us that there were some, some guys who were traveling and they saw Jesus. And so when Luke 24 and then John 20 come together, these people and they've seen Jesus. And it's chaos because there's people there saying, there's no way. He was dead. We know he was dead. And on top of all of that, because there's an empty tomb, the Jewish religious leaders, we know from Matthew's account, had begun to say that the disciples stole the body of Jesus, that they took it. And this is what Rome's going to believe. And if Rome believes that these guys took the body of Jesus, oh man, Pilate is going to unleash some kind of problem on all of them. And there's this chaos and there's this confusion, and they're all meeting together, not knowing what's going on. And we come to verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, they were in this room, and notice, it points out the doors are locked, I mean locked. Now, this isn't one of those locks, you know, where you push the button and it's locked kind of lock, right? I mean, the other day, this isn't, you're not picking this. The other day, you know, we, were, we were somewhere and uh, there he is, my student minister, so proud of him. There was a locked door and these were his words. You get me a paper clip, I can get in there. <laughs> God, I said, Lord, I am so thankful I called this guy. I am so thankful he's on my staff because I don't know if anybody else could do a breaking and entering, but I got a guy finally who can break and enter. You want two things on a staff. You want a guy who can break into some place, and you want a guy that if you kill someone, they'll bury the body without any questions. That's all you ask for, you know, on your staff. And so I'm saying, man, but it's not that kind of lock at all. I mean, there's no chain on the door like at the hotel. I mean, I mean, it's bolted. It's just locked. And the emphasis is you can't get in at all. All right? So they made sure of that. And I've already talked about the reason why for the fear of the Jews. With all of that, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. Now here they're all talking about Jesus. 
They're talking about the empty tomb. And they look up, and there he is. He just appeared. And neither John nor Luke tell us how he gets there. I mean, it's, you know, you read commentaries, and they're all trying to discuss, how did Jesus get into the room? What was the process he used? Blah, 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 blah. John and Luke didn't care. Nobody cared. Nobody said, hey, uh, that was a locked door. How did you get in there? They're just looking, and they're amazed. Because the Lord who was dead is there, and the thing he says is, peace be with you you because he knows it's chaotic and he knows right about now it is just confusing and wild in their life and he knows it's just going to get worse earlier right before he died in that upper room right after he said that not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe in me Jesus says my peace I leave with you not as the world gives do I give you do not let your hearts be troubled. And here he says, peace. I mean, you think about this for a moment. When our life is so crazy, and we're in so much pain, and we're so confused as to what to do, Jesus will always bring peace. I cannot tell you how many times in my life, amidst the turmoil and confusion and not having a clue as to what to do in your innards, just get all yuck inside. And I just say, Lord, what I need from you is just some peace. And it's amazing that when I trust Jesus, there is always peace. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And get this, and the disciples rejoiced. When they saw the Lord. He was there. He said, guys, look at here. Here are my hands. And, he, and what he showed them, because this is where the, the, the nail was driven. Not in here, in the hand. He wasn't going to hold them up. And it would have broken bones. But right here. He said, look at here. And then he had the side. I mean, he, Jesus was stabbed with the spear. He showed them that. In Luke's account, he says, come over here if you want. And you can touch it. And make sure it's me. This is a real body. And I know people and scholars debate about his resurrection body and then his glorification body and all these different bodies. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not smart enough to worry about that or figure that out. I don't care. It was just Jesus. And that's what they thought. You think they cared about the substance of his body? Well, Jesus, what is the chemical makeup of your body right now? We're just curious. <laughs> Says they saw him and they had joy. I mean, joy, not just happiness. I, one of the things I wish for people all the time is happiness. I do. I want them to be happy. I want the circumstances of their life to help them be happy. But this is more than that. This is, this is a condition that exists. Jesus is there. Not only does Jesus bring you peace, oh, man, Jesus, he brings you joy. Sometimes in life you're not going to be happy, but you can have joy. And I know this all too well. There are days you're not happy. But man, he always brings joy. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, as the Father, which peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, guys, 
Man, I'm sending you. Jesus came into this world with a purpose. Now, this passage we're going to be in, that we're in right now, is a Trinitarian passage. I mean, it deals with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word Trinity is never used in all the New Testament, but the concept is there. There is one God, one God, but he has three personalities, the three persons of the, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And they relate to each other, and they relate in different functionalities. And I'm not going to go into a depth about the Trinity. You can do some research in all the right ways and look at that. But here we're going to see the functionality of the Trinity. When Jesus came into this world, when the Son came, he came sent by the Father with a purpose. So he says, as the Father has sent me, in that same way I am sending you. Now the word sent is important. It's the Greek word apostello. The word apostle kind of comes from this. Now he's not making them apostles. For one thing, Thomas isn't there. For another, there are people there other than just the guys, you know. And, and this is not that case, what's going on here. But what he's talking about is the idea of sending with purpose. The word apostello means to go representing someone. So it's the idea that you represent. The Father sent Jesus to do something, representing the Father with a purpose. That ultimate purpose, we know, is to go to the cross. Jesus said, I came that you could have life, that you could have it to the fullest. That required him to go to the cross. He, in the cross, he died in our place. He died on our behalf. His sacrificial, substitutionary death. That's why he came. He says, the Father sent me. And the idea of sending here speaks of a permanent process, a reason for sending. So I am sending you as well. Guys, I'm sending you because things have changed. This is, does mark a changing of what being a disciple means. To this point, primarily followers of Jesus were learners. They learned things. Jesus taught them things. Occasionally he would send them to do things. They came back and reported, but that was part of the learning process. No longer are they simply students. Now they are to be teachers. No longer are they simply to learn. They now are to go forth. Things have changed for them in our lives as followers of Christ. Early on, we need to be learners. We need to learn everything we can about Jesus. And it never stops. We never stop learning. I never, ever stop learning. And the more I live, the more stuff I begin to figure out. And it's amazing. But at some point, we become more than learners. At some point, we got to become goers. He sends us. And then he did this in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed all of them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Greek, technically, it just says he breathed. It doesn't say he breathed on them. But probably every English translation has it that way because that's understood. Some guys think that he didn't breathe on them, he just breathed. You know, we got a loud breath, but it would be kind of wasteful for John. Or it just doesn't make sense that John would write that that way. It would be inconsistent with the way he's written anything. So we probably ought to understand he breathed on them. It's a symbolic act. In doing that, he says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the word receive is written as a command. Now, of course, if he breathes on them, he gives it to them, they got it. But it has the, the idea or the connotation of receiving with the purpose to do something. I receive it, not for my benefit, but I receive it to do something with it. 
And so here you already have him sending and now receiving with intentionality and purpose. And what they receive is the Holy Spirit of God, that third person of the Trinity. Now, this gets interesting because we know in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus. These people, all of them would have been there, plus others. He comes upon them with power in a permanent and abiding way. One of the things that we share from a doctrinal standpoint is in Acts chapter 2, it's when the Holy Spirit finally comes and he abides with believers and he stays. And yet here we're seeing that Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so we got to kind of figure that out. Now, I will tell you, it is not that critical or whatever it means because ultimately Acts chapter 2 settles it all. Everybody gets it, so it was there. But it does have some meaning. And so when all is said and done, and there are a lot of explanations, some of them extremely complicated, the best thing to do maybe is to go over to Acts chapter 1-8. And Jesus says this, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit, he says you're going to receive power. And you'll be my witnesses. And then 10 days later, Acts chapter 2, they receive power and they witness. So really what we would probably understand is since Jesus had already told them in the upper room when that part I mentioned a while ago when he says, my peace I give with you, leave you, not as the world give out of you, let not your hearts be troubled, let it not be afraid. He also said to them, I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And now he is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. But while he gave them the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did not do anything with them for the next 50 days. In other words, they didn't get part of the Holy Spirit. They didn't sort of get the Holy Spirit. They didn't get a little of the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't do anything in their life until Pentecost. Now, the reason for all that, and to understand it that way, is to realize that when Jesus said, you got the Holy Spirit now, he's saying, you're my people. I'm leaving. I'm leaving with you now. But it won't matter. It won't make a difference until the power is unleashed within you. And you'll know when you have power. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes with absolute power and the world changes. Now, here's the thing. What happens here isn't for our benefit. So we got to quit. Sometimes we look at the New Testament and think everything in there has got to pertain to me. We look in there and think we've got to take every little nuanced comment in the New Testament and apply it to our life. We don't. Sometimes what's in the New Testament is just written for them. Our benefit is in learning and growing for it, and we need to be comfortable with it. What's important is this. We all have the Holy Spirit now. We've received him. We've been sent. We've received the Holy Spirit with purpose. And verse 23 says this, Whosoever, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. He says, guys, all of you are sinners. We believe that, don't we? That all of us have sinned against God. The world doesn't think that way. A lot of the world doesn't like the concept of sin. They don't like the idea that somehow you know, we have sinned against God. And I've talked about that many times. But here's the thing. Both in the Old and New Testament, the one thing that's clear is that God looks at us as sinners. It goes back to Genesis 3. You know what happened in Genesis 3? I've shared it many times. Satan said to Adam and Eve, you get to be like God. You do want to be like God. You can be like God. And so they ate of that tree because they wanted to be God in their own life. That's really what sin is, us wanting to be God. Technically, it means to fall short of God. What it really means is this, to rebel against God. We're rebels against God. We are. And Jesus says, you know, the world's rebelling against God. And so you're going to go and you're going to preach the gospel message. 
And if you go someplace and preach it, and there's the forgiveness of sins. And if you don't preach it, they're going to retain their sins. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter has that great statement. Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, then, and, and, and Jesus says, you know, Simon, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, my father. And you are now no longer simply Simon. You're, you're Peter. You're the rock. And he talks about a little rock. And then he says, but upon this rock, this huge rock, I will build my church. And what he's talking about is what Jesus proclaimed, that he is the Christ. It's not, among, it's not built on Peter, nor is it built on faith. The church is always built on Jesus as the Christ. And he says, I give all you guys the keys to the kingdom, not just Peter, all of you guys. And whatever shall be loosened on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Whatever shall be bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. He says, guys, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, man. I'm giving you the gospel. And wherever you go and preach the gospel, whatever you loosen with the gospel shall be loosened so they can be in heaven for eternity. They're forgiven. And whatever you bind, wherever you don't go, they're still bound. They're still trapped in their sins. And they are bound until someone loosens them. And here's, he says the same thing. There's really two parallel statements about being forgiven and retained. He says something like this. Anyone who sins might be forgiven, shall be forgiven. And anyone who sins might be retained, shall be retained. Wherever you go and tell people about me, they will experience forgiveness. But if you don't go and tell them, they won't experience forgiveness. So he says, you're sent with the power of the Holy Spirit to help people be forgiven from their sins. Imagine being in that room that day. I mean, 12 hours earlier, you were just shocked. You were still stunned that Jesus was dead. And then you start hearing rumors that he's alive. And people are seeing him. And you're meeting in this room with these other people, and it's crazy, and it's chaotic. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jesus just stands there. And you're like, it's Jesus. You can't believe it. And then he looks at you and says, I'm sending you with the Holy Spirit to go help people be forgiven of their sins. It's an amazing thing he gives us. I mean, these were different people with different expectations and different experiences, but they all had one thing in common. They all believed that Jesus was dead, and then 12 hours later, they saw him alive. And they not only saw Jesus, they were called by Jesus to do something special. <laughs> they were called to share the message that would change the world. You understand that? The message that he gave those handful of people that Easter Sunday night is the message that changes the world. That you can be forgiven of the sin and rebellion in your life. It's still the message today. And we make things so complicated as Christians. We, we get caught up in so many different things and with people and what we need to do and how we respond and this and that. It, here's the thing. It's really simple. People rebel against God, and it ruins their lives. It does. They may not know it. They may say, well, I'm rich, you know, I'm wealthy, I'm healthy, everything's good. But inside, their life is rotted because they rebelled against God. We know that. We know they've rebelled against God. And here's the thing, and you and I know, 
There's nothing they can do about it. Nothing. They can't change a thing. Only Jesus can do that. And you and I know Jesus. And we know he can do in their life what he did in my life. In, uh, in the old days, I guess, when I was in middle school and high school, I had a friend named Paul. You know, we, we played ball together, you know, at least in high school. And, and, uh, you know, when you graduate back then, some, you younger people, you can't understand this, but when you graduated back in, in, in the old days, 1979, when music was so good, you know, Back then when you graduated, you know, the only way you keep up with somebody, you had an address, you had a phone number, normally it was to their parents' house. And unless you were really close, you just, you just didn't keep up. You know, then you see each other at a reunion every 10 years, you know, and how's it going? Well, this is the way with Paul. And then about the 30th reunion, 2009, you know, now, now there's social media, now there's cell phones, you can keep up. And so Paul and I, you know, we, we just kept up with each other, you know. And then there's two things about Paul that are important. One is that Paul was really sick. He was really sick. He, had, he needed to have an organ transplant or he would die. And at some point after 2009, he did, he did have that transplant. And it helped him some, but it just it didn't work. And so it's about 2014, you know, and Paul and I are talking in different ways. And, and I know he don't have a whole long, long, long time to live on this earth. The other thing about Paul that's important is that Paul described himself as an atheist. He just didn't believe in, in, in God. He didn't believe in Jesus. We'd have great conversations, but he just didn't believe in any of that. He lived up north, and it was cold in 2014. It was winter at some point. I think it was maybe in the last half of winter. I mean, it may have been like November, that part, coming into December. And uh, I decided I needed to go see, go see my buddy because he didn't have long. And, and, and texting, and I, I needed to be there. I needed to sit down and pray with him and share Jesus with him. And so I had the plane ticket, and the day I'm leaving, an ice storm comes into Dallas-Fort Worth because I'm living in Bridgeport at the time. And so I'm not able to fly out that day. But I said, I'll, I'll make it back up and get there. And then I was dealing with this church. And so I'm dealing back and forth with this church. And, and I never get up there. And I never get up there. And then in, you know, in the time that I'm coming here, at the time that I start getting ready to come here, I get word that my buddy had died. Man, that really hit me. Because I never got up there. And he died without Jesus. And I told him I was going to come and visit him and pray with him. And he had given me permission to come and talk to him about Jesus. And I never got to him about Jesus. I think about that to this day. It eats me alive. It does. I mean, I, I, every Sunday, there are people who need Jesus. I tell them. In fact, here's the thing. I tell so many people every week about Jesus. But when I needed to tell my friend, I couldn't. And then I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I've never seen the resurrected Jesus. But I read about those who did. And I read about how it changed their lives. And I believe in that Jesus. It changed my life. Who gives me peace. Who gives me joy. Who gives me forgiveness. 
And I think about the people I know, the people I love, and they don't have Jesus. But I do. And Jesus said, David, you need to go to them and you need to tell them so they can be forgiven. Because if you don't, think of it this way. If you don't tell the people you know and love about Jesus, is it possible that they might remain in their sin? Is it possible that they die unforgiven? At the beginning of this message, I said that Jesus didn't appear to people simply so they could see him alive. That his appearances, like his death and resurrection, had a purpose. And his purpose was so that they might go tell people that Jesus lives. And they might go tell people that gospel message. And those people might be forgiven of their sin. Because in the end, we all have to be forgiven for our sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. But Jesus can. And he did. And we know that. Who do you know that needs to hear about Jesus? Who do you know and you love and you care about that needs to be forgiven? Good intentions only go so far. And one day they're not there. And you can't do anything about it anymore. So today, make the commitment and then follow up on that commitment. You're going to go share with them that Jesus is alive. And he'll forgive them of their sin. And in just a moment when we stand here, if you want to come and pray with one of us, you can. You can come and pray and say, help me, pray with me, because I've got to go to that person. Some of you, you're not followers of Jesus. You're the one trapped in your sin. And you need to get out of that sin. You can't do anything about it, but Jesus can. If you'll just trust him. You take your life and you give it to him and he'll forgive you. In the end, that's what we all need, isn't it? To walk out of here today knowing that we're forgiven of our sin. To walk out of here today knowing that we have to go to someone we love who isn't. So, Father, as we come before you with the words the Father has sent me, so send I you. Let us go to those we love, those we know, those we care about, and share with them that Jesus will forgive them. They may not believe, they may not accept, so be it. But let us go. And those who don't know Christ, well, Father, today let them experience that forgiveness. Let them experience peace for the first time. Let them experience peace, real peace. And with that peace comes joy, unending joy, simply because we believe. Amen. Would you stand and you come?